Thank you. Uh, you know, I really love this church. I really do. Uh, I want to start out there. Uh, and I want to thank the worship team. Uh, I'm stealing all this music. This is great. Um, wow. It, uh, what I hope I can communicate this morning was already contained in the worship set that we did this morning. And it was just like a, a confirmation. But I want to start out by having a disclaimer. Uh, because I'm going to touch on some really touchy subjects today. I mean some really touchy subjects. And so there is a high potential that I'm going to offend some of you. But that is not my intention. But I also want to, to say that if you get mad about what I say or how I say it, don't get mad at Byron about it. Because <laughs> he doesn't know what I'm going to say any more than I know what I'm going to say. And uh, I am not an official elder or in the leadership of this church. I'm just an old guy they let come here sometimes. So um, I am, and I hope the Holy Spirit responsible for the content of this message. Our, our society in general and the church of Christ is under significant spiritual attack. In this season, not just here in the United States, but worldwide. Words don't mean what words used to mean. Concepts don't reflect what concepts used to reflect. Everything is getting distorted so that we can't even talk to each other about the things that we need to talk to each other about. And so I want to address some of those issues today. And I am sure that I won't get all the words right because I may not be up to date with what words mean because they seem to change their meaning every month or two. And I can't tolerate too much exposure to mass media or news publications. It causes the Spirit of God to shrivel up in me and I can't maintain my walk with the Lord or any discernment in the Spirit if I am simply, uh, not simply, always, always inundated with the thought manipulations of the mass media today. I have to stay back from it. I try to stay a little bit informed but not overwhelmed with it. Because I want the thoughts of my heart and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in the sight of the Lord our God. That which is written in the Holy Scripture is my foundation for the philosophy of my life, how I want to live my life, how I want to think about the issues. What Jesus says means more to me than what any politician, political party, or lying bunch of 
so-and-sos want to cause me to think about things. So, here we go. I have a very strange relationship with the Lord. I will have things that I see that I think God is speaking to me through in the natural realm, and then I don't understand it for a couple of years. About two years ago, I was down in Wilmington. I have a sort of a family connection with Wilmington, North Carolina, and we were down there, and this was pre-COVID, so there was always lines at the restaurant, and we had put our name in at a restaurant, and we were having to wait for a long time. So I took a walk, and I walked down, and uh, the restaurant was real near this little marina area where there were a bunch of boats moored to docks. And I walked down there, and it was high tide, and they had driven these big, huge, salt-treated pylons, round pylons, down deep into the floor of that bay area, that was protected from the storms. And then there were these huge, like really thick metal rings like this big that were bolted to the docks that went around the pylons driven down into the, to the ocean bed, you know? And then there were fishing boats and pleasure boats tied to those docks. That was their moorings. They were tied to this thing. But it was high tide. And the, the docks would rise and fall depending on the tide. And it was high tide. And I looked and those big rings that affixed the docks to the pylons were only about 18 inches to 2 feet from the top of the pylons. And I thought in my mind, man, if there's a two-foot storm surge the next time a hurricane comes through here, all of these docks representing the church and all of these boats representing people and businesses and things are going to be broken loose from their moorings. This past week, the Lord recalled that little encounter to me. And I feel like he said that we're living in a day in which there is a rising tide of evil, lies, and anti-Christian storms in our society that threaten to break us loose from our moorings. Now, our mooring in, in the Webster Dictionary is a device such as a line or a chain by which an object is secured in its place. Another definition is an established practice or stabilizing influence. There are forces at work that want to destabilize 
all of society. There are forces at work in the world that thrive on chaos. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The devil itself is at work on a global, wide basis today. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against politicians or political parties but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. One of my um, most often read books other than the Bible is a little book written a few hundred years before the birth of Christ called The Art of War. It's a book on strategic thinking written by a Chinese general called Sun Tzu. And a very famous quote from that book is, If you know yourself and you know your enemy, you need not fear the outcome of a thousand battles. We need to know both ourselves in a righteous and honest fashion, and we also need to know the strategies of our enemy. My purpose today is to talk about those things and to call attention to them so that we can have victory, the victory that the Lord intends for us to have in this season. I want to revisit something I've often repeated, but I've only had one real out-of-body, I'm caught into the heavenly realm experience in my life. Uh, In May of 1981, I was talking to Don and Linda Gein and Harry and Louise Bazell at the big house at the Lamb's Chapel community one day in May of 1981. And Harry got a phone call, and somebody said they wanted to come and visit the Lamb's Chapel because they heard the glory of God was being revealed there. And when Harry said the glory of God and revealed there, I was caught away. I was caught away for a couple of hours. I wasn't here in this realm. I was in another realm. And I was taken to the throne room of the king in the celestial realm, and I heard a voice proclaim that the sword of circumstance was going to be released to divide the spirit from the flesh in the church. And the spirit of God overcame me, and I began to make intercession before the throne of God and beg God to give us a short season to repent by the sword of the word before the sword of circumstance was released. That was 40 years ago, this May. And so lately, I've really been wondering, what is a short space of time in heaven? Is it 40 years? 
is what we are now entering into the release of the sword of circumstances that are beyond all of our control with the divine purpose to divide the spirit from the flesh in the church of Jesus Christ. And I am beginning to suspect that God is very interested in not only forgiving us of our sins, but freeing us from our sins. I'm a grace guy. I need more grace than all of you put together. I really need some mercy up in here. You know, I know me. I need mercy. I believe in mercy. I believe in extending grace to others. So don't you misinterpret what I'm going to say as thing being judgmental or condemnatory because that's not my intent I'm putting us on a track to get real deliverance from evil one of the basic teachings of scripture is that God has reached out to us with mercy through the sacrifice of his son our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on a very personal and intimate basis. If Tim was the only guy on the planet Earth, Jesus would have died for Tim alone. This is not a religious theory to me. This is something that is real to me. It's more real to me than anything else in my life. My life was transformed. Transformed, changed. I was one guy, November the 19th, 1970, and I was a different guy, November the 21st, 1970. Because I was born again and filled with the Spirit of God. And it changed me from the inside out. My want-tos were different. My desires were different. My ambitions were different. I was born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a reality. That's not a religious idea. Most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Although God intended to deal with us on an individual level, He also deals with us on a nationwide level, on a national level. Scripture also teaches us that God deals with nations concerning their national sins and offers nations a chance to repent of unrighteousness. We've got some national sins that we need to deal with. Remember the story of Jonah? Everybody knows the story of Jonah, right? We tell it to our kids, all this kind of stuff. What is the basic story of Jonah? God says to Jonah, Hey boy, 
I want you to go up to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them. And he said, I ain't going up there. There was a lot of animosity. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. You know what the Assyrians like to do with Jews that they happen to capture and take as slaves? One of their favorite pastimes was as they would peel the Jew. They'd skin him alive. Literally. Take the skin off of their bodies and then have a pit in the middle of the stadium and roll them in salt and sit there and watch them die. They would also, if they got a Jewish woman who was pregnant, take them out and rip open the woman's belly, let the baby fall out on the ground and watch the baby and the woman die. That was sport entertainment. Not exactly the neighborhood that as a Jewish prophet you want to show up to preach repentance. There were reasons that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. One of the reasons we find out is that Jonah knew God was merciful and would forgive them. Because when he went, this is is Jonah's message. All all we know that he said to the people in Nineveh was, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. He didn't name their sins, anything. But this is the response of the people. Then the people of Nineveh, this is Jonah 3, verses 5 and 6. I didn't give this to the boys in the back, but you can listen to it. It says, then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king, when it got up to the political realm, that the God of Israel was going to judge their nation for their sins, what did their leader do? He repented. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation. And in verse 9 of Jonah Jonah chapter 3, in verse 9 it says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring on them. You see, God deals with nations in mercy if they repent. So when we're talking about the day in which we're in, it's both on an individual level and it is on a national and international level. My prayer and where I want to get to by the end of this message, God willing, 
is that God would grant us in the USA an outpouring of His Holy Spirit to bring about a national repentance for our sins. The question is, what are the national sins that will incite the judgment of God on a nation? Does Scripture teach us that? Another question, what are some of the alarming cultural, political, and social trends prevalent today in the USA that are contrary to the teachings of the Bible? Another question. I hope to answer these questions, by the way. What anti-Christian values could our own government soon attempt, attempt to force us to affirm, approve, or even practice? What are they? I believe we need to be aware of what we believe enough and cherish enough to pay a high price for it. Because we may, in the United States, soon as a, a Christian community be required to pay a price for our faith. We have, for most of the history of the United States been exempt from that. But it's interesting to me that today the two most rapidly growing national churches in the world both suffer persecution and are both prohibited from networking and spreading their ideas on the internet. We're all real concerned about internet censorship here. I'm concerned about it. But the churches in China and the churches in Iran are the two fastest growing churches in the world and they're both persecuted and neither one of them have access to public commissions or social media. Isn't that interesting? So God's not limited by what Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, or... Amazon can do to you. He's bigger than all that. I want to talk about five specific issues this morning, and I hope I can get to them. I'm going to try and get through them as fast as I can. But these are five areas that I'm willing to take a stand on. These are things that I believe the Word is so clear about that I'm willing to pay a price for. These are the things that at least little Jimmy Hill ain't going to compromise on. And it may make some people, even some sincere Christians, angry with me because we have been so co-opted by the philosophies of the world rather than the Word of God, even in the church, that we need to repent and we need to return to that which God has said and not what current culture says. We have failed as a church. 
to do that. But I want to repent. I want to see the Lord move in our midst like none of us have ever experienced before. The first, and we've talked about this before, and we've got some mighty warriors on this front right here in this church, is child sacrifice. Child sacrifice sin. Abortion is a sin. It's terrible. It's awful. It ain't anything new. It's a national sin in the USA. And we, as a nation, have even exported it and helped other nations do this. Lord, I repent for our nation having slain millions of children within our own borders and around the world. Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was one of the primary sins of the nation of Judah that caused God to send the Babylonians to tear down the walls of Jerusalem and send them into captivity for 70 years in Babylon. Um, I'm going to read from Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 28 through 31. And I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version again. I've lately wanted to go back. To, the New American Standard Version is the most literal of the modern English translations. I enjoy the, the paraphrases and the devotional things like the Message Bible and the Passion Translation and the Living New Testament and everything. But for this issue... To teach doctrine, I wanted to get as close to the literal meaning of each word in the Hebrew and Greek as I could. And the best we can do is a New American Standard Bible for that. Uh, and in uh, Jeremiah seven twenty eight, it says, You shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God or accept correction. Truth has perished and been cut off from their mouth. In t- today in America, it's a real dangerous thing to say the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And then he said to Jeremiah, he says, cut off your hair as an act of repentance, of, of, of how do you say, lamentation, I guess, and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the bare heights For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. You know, there were lots of prophets in the days of Jeremiah saying, Oh no, God's going to bless us. Everything's going to turn out the way we want. Peace, safety, peace, safety. And the only guy that had the word of the Lord, they threw in the cistern. He was sitting in the mud, waist deep in mud at the bottom of a well. For the sons of Judah have done that which is evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house which is called by my name to defile it. They have built the high places of Topeth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, and it did not come to my mind. 
That was one of the main reasons for the Babylonian captivity. They were taking their sons and daughters outside the eastern gate where the Messiah is supposed to return to and they had an altar there to Moloch and they were burning their children so that their crops would grow better and they would be okay financially. Convenience and prosperity is the motivation behind most abortions in the United States of America today. It's the exact same sin. God help us. God help us. Have mercy upon us. We don't deserve better than judgment. But Lord, we cry out for mercy. Deliver us from evil. Liberate us from these unrighteous, institutionalized, government-endorsed sins, Lord. Set us free. Like you set the children of Israel free from their enslavement in Egypt, Lord God. Deliver us from evil. The second issue that is really a touchy issue today. The the world has got us so wrapped up in the philosophies of the world that we can't even take a biblical stand on marriage, gender, and sexual immorality. You can't even talk about it. I heard this past week, my wife listens to the news constantly. I can't bear it. She's stronger than I am. Uh, But I was walking through and I heard, well, there's one prep school uh, in New York that's now teaching their children not to refer to their parents as mommy and daddy anymore because that might make feel one of the children that doesn't have one of those or might have two mommies or two daddies or whatever uh, bad. And so they won't let the kids refer to their parents as mom and dad. Okay, it starts there. Many of the things we see in society we could have never dreamed would become almost official obligation within my generation. But in Mark 10, verse 6 6 through 9, it's read at almost every wedding. Christian wedding at least. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. I'm sorry. If that offends somebody. But that's the truth. That's what the chromosomes say. Follow the science? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I also want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I didn't know I wanted to read that until this morning. I don't know if they can find that back there or not. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Punto. That's what it says. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. There is forgiveness for all those things. There is deliverance for all those things. But you need to get delivered. You need to quit doing it. Church. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Those things are wrong. They're wrong on an individual level. and They're wrong on a societal level. They're wrong. I know I've told this story before, but I was in uh, Zimbabwe once, and I was staying with this uh, uh, little married couple. And, and, you know, I've always been a curious boy. And uh, I noticed that it was, as they were preparing meals, you know, and the husband was sitting in the living room in a chair, and the wife was busy in the kitchen, and they were happy, and, you know, just very, both of them college-educated professionals, you know, they were, it, it was really a, a sweet family. And when she would come in to talk to her husband, she would kneel down beside his chair. And I thought, what kind of custom is that? Why are you doing that? So I asked her. And she says, oh, I would never disrespect my husband by speaking to him with my head higher than his head. And I thought, well, Noah Manuka had told me that respect was a really high value in the Shona culture. And so I was... I was interested in that, you know, and and she says, "Well, he paid a very high bride price for me. He he like I don't remember how many cows or one thing or another, and then he worked like a slave for his father-in-law for three months, and you know he had to send in an uncle to negotiate the bride price with the father of the bride, and because she was well educated and played the piano, the price was high, and all this kind of stuff." And they were telling me all this, and you know, with joy on their faces, you know, and. And, and I said, doesn't that make you feel bad that you were purchased? Limited understanding gringo from the United States. She looks back at me and says, you know what the mystery for me is, is I don't know how those American girls give themselves to someone that doesn't value them. I respect my husband because he respects me. He loved me enough to pay a very high price for me. Why would I not respect a man like that? And I got, boy, howdy. That African way is a heck of a lot better than the American way. I saw that right up front, having two daughters. I thought that was really good. Some kid's going to come and pay me a year's salary just to go out with my daughter. Man, 
sexual relations outside of the covenant bond of marriage is sin. It doesn't matter who or what you're doing it with. That wasn't accidental, by the way. Related to that is the principle of honor. My third issue is honor. We live in a society that has discredited discredited honor. Like that, that young African wife had no problem honoring her husband. Many American wives think that is oppression. It did not look like oppression on her. The, the other day, uh, I went to uh, play golf with Don Gein, who I've known for years, and we were remarking, 85, isn't it 85? You're 85 now. He's 85 years old and still out playing golf, you know. And I said, man, I hope I can still swing a golf. He beat the snot out of me. You know, at 80, you know, he does fudge. He goes way up to the front tees and makes me hit from the back. But he still beats me, you know, really bad at 85. And we were marking on that. And he says, well, it's, it's just because of the promise. And the, the promise is in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. And, and, and Don quoted this. This is the reason I'm still young. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long, uh, may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Honor and respect in general is under attack in the United States. Don't fall into the trap of dishonoring political figures you disagree with. That is not the right thing to do. In Jude 9, I'm not going to read it, but in Jude 9, there's this little passage where it says, Michael the archangel did not even pronounce a railing judgment against the devil when he was disputing over the body of Moses, but he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. It was wrong for people to constantly criticize the person of Donald Trump. But it is absolutely just as wrong for those who disagree with him to criticize Joe Biden as a person. You can disagree with policies. You can disagree with positions. But it is wrong to disrespect the person, the personage, 
Beware. Reviling. You remember when we were reading in Corinthians about sexual immorality and it said, revilers will not inherit the kingdom of God. We should not participate in reviling people. That spirit is wrong. It's the wrong spirit. I am doing my best to address sinful issues in the church and in the nation this morning, but I do not want to have a reviling spirit. I want to have a revealing spirit. I don't know if I'm communicating that well enough, but that's my desire. The fourth thing that today you really can't come right out and say, because it's not uh, inclusive enough, is this. Jesus Christ is the only way to know God the Father. There ain't no other way that coexists. And look... I studied other religions. I was studying Tibetan Buddhism when I got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and delivered from it. I've read most of the Koran. I've studied the other religions. And I don't hate anybody who participates in that. There's a lot of the philosophy of Buddhism that's really good. But it won't get you to heaven. You know why I believe this? If I could only find this one passage in the Bible, it'd be enough for me to believe this. It says it in John 14, verse 5. He's talking to Thomas. Faithful Thomas. He's not doubting Thomas. The apostle Thomas died as a martyr on the end of a spear, witnessing to people in India. And the whole village converted because they said, if you stick a spear in somebody's gut, he ain't going to lie to you. He's telling something that's really true. And so as he was impaled on a spear, he preached the gospel, and the whole village came to know the Lord. So I, he was Thomas the Valiant, just like that one sitting back there. John 14, verse says, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Famous verse, true verse, absolute. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, I, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you show, say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Jesus is the only way to the Father. I will not yield on that. I will not compromise on that. But it's going to become more and more unpopular to say in public you will be classified as a bigot and judgmental 
we need to know what we believe enough to pay the price of rejection in our own culture for. That's one of them for me. That is one of them. I don't know if you can follow me with this. The whole thing about the attack on the, the nuclear family, about motherhood and fatherhood, the whole attack on gender, it's to separate people from the fatherhood of God. It is an insidious and crafty deception that is leaking into our society to keep people isolated from the only true and wise and powerful God. All of that is linked together in a strategy to keep people away from the saving knowledge of God. And it is, the, it is demonic. It is demonic in its origin. This whole worldwide globalist takeover of all values and our languages and words is demonic in its origin. We may be getting close to the end, church. Now, the last one I want to talk about, I only got five minutes. Oh, my goodness gracious. That took way too long to get to here. Because I want to talk about racism. I think I would be delinquent if I didn't address racism. Now, I'm going to have to hurry to do this. Racism is a national sin in the United States. And it's a sin in the church. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Somebody asked me yesterday. Well, how, what is the difference between the Baptist church and the Southern Baptist church? It's real simple. The Southern Baptist church was founded in 1845 because the Baptist churches in the north wanted to do away with slavery and the Baptist churches in the south didn't. So they formed a Southern Baptist church to preserve slavery. Not exactly a good foundation to build a church on. I didn't know that when I was a kid. Hopefully, most Southern Baptists today don't hold on to that issue. You know what I'm saying? And, and we'll get to my hope in this. If, if I go five minutes over, will you shoot me? I'll, I will try to get this done. Uh, if this were the only, I could do probably a hundred scriptures to tell you that racism in the church is wrong. I mean, it's really bad wrong. It ain't just a little wrong. It's really bad wrong. I mean, I love Marlon enough. Marlon knows me and loves me enough. I can use him as an example. He ain't going to get mad at me. He says, I love the way Marlon can refer to himself in the third person as the African. Because Marlon, and that makes Marlon special. That makes Marlon interesting. This congregation would be less if it weren't for him being here. He ain't no token. He's a man of God. He's a guy I want with me walking through a dark alley if I'm in a dangerous spot. 
because he is something I can never be. He's not only valued, he's coveted to be in this. He's welcomed in this congregation. He's cherished in this congregation. As it should be. I want every, you know, when I first got a, uh, I have a, some of you don't know this, but most of you do. I got into missions about 30 years ago. And uh, along the way, I had to, when people wanted to associate with his heart missions, I had to decide, well, what makes us different than other missions? And one of the value statements that we put up on our webpage when we first had a webpage was, um, I want to read it verbatim. It says, we place a high value on being a multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-generation expression of the body of Christ. And I think that's also a value of River Life Church. Because that's who we are. In, Romans, in Revelation 5, it says, When he had taken the book, and four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a heart and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal. For you were slain and purchased for God with your own blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Most of you guys are on the same page with that. Everybody I know in this room is. But I think I, in, in my praying about this, I came up on something that I think is significant that I had never seen before. Less than one generation after the Civil War ended slavery in the USA, we were blessed with a nationwide and worldwide outpouring of the Holy Spirit, known as the Pentecostal Revival. And one of the reporters uh, that wrote about the Pentecostal revival at Azusa Street said this. It says, the color line was washed away in the blood. Now, I didn't really realize this, but the Civil War ended May 9th, 1865, and the Azusa Street meetings started in May of 1906. 41 years later, my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather who fought in the Civil War was captured and walked home from New York, a prisoner of war camp, and then went into the ministry and spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel. Died in 1915. So he saw, he witnessed the Pentecostal revival in America. In one man's lifetime, we went from ending slavery as a national sin to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in which race and nationality and color was non-existent for a brief period of time. For the first three years of the Azusa uh, Pentecostal meetings, um, 
all national all nationalities and races worship together and fellowship together without any racial barriers. Um, uh, I'm going to read a quote now from um, the Apostolic Faith publication called Bible Pentecost, and this is a quote from the pastor of the street, William Seymour, uh, who is probably one of the greatest Christian leaders of the 20th century because under his ministry, uh, the Pentecostal charismatic movement that was birthed at Azusa Street has impacted the church worldwide, probably more than any other movement in, in church history. And he says, and this is him speaking, uh, Pastor Seymour says, no instrument that God can use is rejected on account of color, or dress, or lack of education. If the revival had started in a fine church, poor colored people and Spanish people would not have got it. But praise God, it started here. One token of the Lord's coming is that He is melting all races and nations together. And they are filled with the power and the glory of God. He is baptizing by one spirit into one body and making up one people that will be ready to meet him when he comes. A white southern evangelist who showed up before the end of 1906 because he heard something was going on in Azusa Street. His name was uh, George B. Caswell. And he said, after being baptized in the Holy Spirit at Azusa, he said, a new crucifixion began in my life, and I had to die to many things. Chief among these was my prejudice. You see, when the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of the living God is in our midst, that kind of junk has no place. It has no place in our hearts. It has no place in our practice. It has no part in our life. We have been set free from that messed up mess. This is a, another a quote from Pastor Seymour. Uh, now this one came... Within three years, within three years, the Los Angeles Times began to print things about what was going on at Azusa Street that were so bad I'd be embarrassed to read to you the racial epithets and accusations and mess that was being printed in the local newspapers to try and bring down the revival at Azusa Street. They started attacking them left and right. And it was based on no bar no racial barriers. That was considered really a bad thing. So Pastor Seymour trying to address this, trying to be the statesman, said this. It says, Jesus Christ takes in all people in salvation. Christ doesn't discriminate between blacks, whites, the Chinese, Indian, or Japanese. There were a lot of Chinese and Japanese people in 
Los Angeles at the time, and they made up a significant portion of the people that were at Azusa Street. Why? Because God is spirit, and it is precisely by virtue of the new birth, a birth of water and spirit, that all claims to belong to Christ must be understood. For in the act, the spirit of Christ, whose sole measure of true Christian identity comes to reside in all such individuals. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the spirit. I don't look like Martin Marlin. He don't look like me. But I'm telling you, he is my brother. I cherish that relationship that I have with him. Anybody who knows me knows that I cherish my relationship with all my Argentine family. We were eating Argentine empanadas last night, Larry. Tasted just like homemade from Argentina. It was wonderful. Um, okay, by August 1907, another guy showed up at Azusa Street. His name was Charles Harrison Mason. Does anybody know who Charles Harrison Mason was, Bishop Mason, one thing or another? Anyway, he had already got, he was a Baptist pastor from Tennessee, and he had already gotten kicked out of the Baptist church for preaching a second touch of the Lord for sanctification. That was a holiness doctrine back in the day, you know. But he wound up out there, and, and this, this is, I love the way he said it. He, he, this is his own testimony. He says, I received the endowment from on high. I don't even think endowment is a word. At least it's not, spell check didn't like it on my, my thing here. So Bishop Mason goes back to Tennessee and he's a, a very good businessman and, and knows how to do things. And so he started the very first Pentecostal denomination, which was the Church of God in Christ in Tennessee. And about that time, about the end of 2007 to 2009, for the next seven years, lots of people were getting kicked out of their denominations for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. People here in Mooresville that had gone to Azusa Street, and they came back, and they got kicked out, you know. And so uh, Bishop Mason, because he had the only Pentecostal denomination in the United States that was legal, started offering credentials to all these white boys that were getting kicked out of the Baptist church in the South. And they became part of it. But after about 10 or 12 years, the social pressure on the churches in the South caused all of those white pastors that had been so graciously treated by Bishop Mason to want to form their own separate all-white denomination currently known as the Assemblies of God. Church, we screwed up. We messed up. God visited us within one generation of the abolition of slavery in the United States. 
But within 15 years, we acquiesced to the social and cultural sinful prejudices of this nation and began to separate ourselves from each other. That was wrong. God, I stand here, and as a representative of your church, Lord, I repent. We messed it up. I don't want to mess it up again. Byron, I'm, can I go five more minutes? That'll give me 15 minutes over. I know this is not the tradition here, but I can't help it. I really want to finish this because I've not gotten to the point. We're under attack. The, the, the enemy wants to keep us divided. He's picking at old wounds and old scars that should have been healed a long time ago. Let's get them healed. Let's get delivered of that which is not biblical and hook up with the spirit of the living God and be unified in our hearts and in our practice and in our churches to the best of our God-given ability. I plead with you, repent, unify. What can we do about this? We can repent and ask God for a heart-changing, church-changing, nation-changing, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I got a little glimpse. Two weeks ago, I was still under COVID lockdown contamination at home when there was a little mini move of the Holy Spirit here two weeks ago. I think I got slammed in my office at home watching it live on, on TV more than you guys did. I was in the floor. I was just weeping and crying. I had hope. I have hope that we're going to see an outpouring of God's Spirit again that will liberate us from all the mess and confusion in our culture today. I take great Great hope in this passage. One of the most theologically profound passages in the Old Testament for me is found in Ezekiel chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, verse 20, and then verses 32, 30 through 32. There's a, it just gets too long. You guys would fall asleep if I read the whole thing. I know you. Ezekiel said, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, declares the Lord, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore, or in the church anymore. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity nor will the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked upon himself. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, according, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions, so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent.
and live. The Bible teaches we are not defined in God's eyes by the worst thing we have ever done. Isn't that good news? We all want that for ourselves, but we sometimes don't apply it to others. The Bible also teaches right here in this passage that God does not hold the children responsible for the sins of their fathers. We can't go back and change the mistakes that were made in the past. All we can do is ask God for His mercy that we get it right this time. Oh God, help us get it right. God does not hold the fathers responsible for the sons of their children, sins of their children. But we should each repent the sins we find in our own hearts and lives. God takes no pleasure in sin and death. God takes no pleasure in judgment, but offers all eternal life and His righteousness as a free gift and unmerited grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. We as a nation have made mistakes in the past. We as a church of Jesus Christ have made mistakes in the past. But I have this hope that if we can repent, God will pour out His Holy Spirit on us again. And may His grace and mercy allow us to get it right this time. That's my heart prayer. Right now, all of our societies around the world are being torn apart. But I believe this may be God's strategy to preserve and purify a righteous remnant from the earth. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Thanks, Jim. Let's, let's pray. Is that okay? Would you all stand with me? Let's start by saying this. Spirit of the living God, come fall fresh on us this morning. Lord, we want to align ourselves with your righteousness. Father, like we were singing earlier, Lord, you're over all things. Father, we want to align ourselves with you. We want to search our hearts for places that we've messed up for bad thinking, for bad acting. Lord, where we've stepped away from your heart, for the people around us, or for this nation. Lord, and we repent individually for the things that we've done, Lord. Corporately for the things that we've done, Lord. And on behalf of this nation for the things that we've done, Lord. Wash us, wash us anew. Oh, Lord. Amen. If you um, have something that you feel like is lingering, let me say this. You have permission to let that go. The Lord let it go, so let it go. But if you're like, man, I, just, I really want to talk to somebody about it, I want to pray with somebody about it, awesome. We have a man that's going to come up here when I'm done. If you want to pray with somebody, come on. Um, 
there's some great music playing. If you want to soak in what the Lord's doing, have at it. But otherwise, I'm going to say this, the Lord bless you and keep you. May his, may his face smile upon you as you go from here. Amen. Love y'all.